0: John P.E.L.E.'s Passball Show, booked by a guy called John P.E.L.E. tune in to John P.E.L.E.'s Passball Show at JohnP.E.L.E. Tradition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnP.E.L.E. by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Let's all... Be serious. There come some times in your life as a sports fan where you kind of have like that aha moment, that excited moment, and wonder, you know, are you really living the actual life or is this just a dream? And as a Mets fan, you kind of get to experience that. I think a lot of Mets fans will say, Where were you when you figured out that the Mets came out of nowhere and acquired Francisco Lindor? Amongst the show today, we're going to get a little bit into the NBA. Um, I want to talk a little Knicks. I'm interested in talking a little Oklahoma City Thunder and also New Orleans Pelicans. But uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of parity in the NBA this year, which is kind of exciting. We're going to get into the NFL picks. The P.L.E.'s pick segment is coming back to the program as we get set for a triple wildcard weekend. Three games today Three games on Sunday And you know, probably the, the best of the NFL Yet to come Was thinking about this the other day You know the, the free agents As we've spoken about on this show And obviously really anywhere out Throughout baseball You've heard the discussion about the big four And that's Trevor Bauer, JT Realmuto DJ LeMayhew And Trevor Bauer And I'm sorry, and George Springer Where are they going? You know, a lot of teams are kind of bailing out this year. A lot of teams are saying because of the pandemic last year and the amount of money that they lost, it's just not not worth it to go all in this season. And then there's a couple teams that you've seen have given the impression that they can. And one of them is the San Diego Padres that have gone out there. They went and got Blake Snell in a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. They got you Darvish in a trade with the Chicago Cubs, also added their backup catcher, Victor Caratini. They got Lynn, the Korean shortstop. So they seem to have gotten their offseason off to a very good start. Now you look into New York Mets, and just out of nowhere, and like I said, the thing that excites me the most about this is the reputation that it seems like the Mets are trying to build by keeping things excuse me, in-house and not having that reporter You know, that clown reporter that's out there leaking stuff, whether it's true, whether it's not true, and have fans sit there and ponder this information for weeks upon weeks and days upon days. Nobody had any idea that the Mets were talking or discussing a trade with the Indians about Francisco Lindor. Most of the attention was, were they going to sign George Springer? And obviously, the Mets made a couple moves earlier in the offseason, signing relief pitcher Trevor May and catcher James McCann. But the thought was that the Mets were going to stay in the realm of free agency. If you heard Jared Porter and you heard Sandy Alderson talk about the importance of building a farm system, would kind of, if you you used your peripheral vision, would make you think that they were going to be less inclined to make a trade. And if they were, they are gonna be less inclined to make a major trade. And a major trade obviously involves players in the Mets farm system and would weaken the Mets farm system. And you look at this deal, and a couple weeks ago you heard me talk about how great of a trade the Josh Bell deal from the Pirates to the Washington Nationals was. This is a deal that's just as good, if not better. And it involves the New York Mets. And I've said, my life as a Mets fan I have never been a privy to these type of trades. A team in Cleveland in this example that's looking to save money, that is looking to get themselves out of the potential of having to pay their star player 20 something million for the final year of their contract before they become a free agent and to get another contract out of the way in Carlos Carrasco. And Carlos Carrasco very underrated part of this trade and you can see how Carrasco fills a need for the Mets so the Mets, with Steve Cohen as their owner are ushering in a new era they could be one of those teams that takes advantage of the small market clubs that aren't interested in contending and they went out there and they did that they paid, I think, a respectable price but In my opinion, not the price of what the player, and in this case, two players, is worth. And I have to be fair. You know, you look at Josh Bell of the trade to the Washington Nationals. You look at the two pitchers that are going back from Washington to Pittsburgh. Are they going to have a huge impact on the Pittsburgh Pirates going forward? We'll see. They were rated relatively high amongst prospect status with the Washington Nationals. But you look at the Mets. If you know their top prospects Which Are Ronnie Maruccio The shortstop Brett Beatty is the third baseman Matthew Allen, the starting pitcher Francisco Alvarez, the catcher None of those players Went to Cleveland in this deal Now it did help that the Mets Had a little bit of a surplus At the shortstop position They traded for a shortstop Which negated their need for an everyday shortstop But also you know, to have two young players with a lot of control, team control ahead, and talent and ability allowed for this to happen, and then you go out there and you give up a Josh Wolf and an Isaiah Green, the ninth and tenth prospects in your system, basically two players that you drafted within the last couple of years. They weren't the main part of your draft. They're second-round picks, but you hold on to a Matthew Allen. You hold on to a Pete Crow Armstrong. I think this is a deal where you have to look at it if you're in New York Mets and say, this is a coup. I will kind of bring ourselves down to earth because for those of us who are Mets fans like myself, you understand that there is some apprehension. And a history that goes back. And it's thought that we can't have very nice things. And I think of two trades that the Mets have made, significant trades that the Mets have made with the Cleveland Indians in the past 25 years. We start out with a deal that the Mets made, a four player deal with the Cleveland Indians. And I remember being excited about it because it brought the Mets one of these good young stars in major league baseball a player that was part of a rising cleveland indians team a team that had gone from the doldrums of the american league to becoming a very legitimate contender john hart had done a great job there mike hargrove was the manager they had guys like albert bell and manny ramirez but they also had a very intriguing second baseman that was going out there getting 200 hits hitting over 300, driving in 100 runs a year, and his name was Carlos Baerga. And I was excited about Carlos Baerga. The Mets got Carlos Baerga and Alvaro Espinosa in a trade for potentially future Hall of Famer Jeff Ken, and Jose Vizcayana. And I, I thought, looked, wow. Mets got themselves a solid second baseman, maybe, perhaps, the premier offensive second baseman in Major League Baseball. And Viagra was a flop. He didn't get the job done with the Mets. And he said, hey, sometimes that happens. You know, the Mets acquired one, Sam well, put him out in the center field. And by the end of the season, they couldn't wait to trade him. So 2001 offseason comes. Mets getting ready for the 2002 season. And what ends up becoming the second worst team money could buy let make a deal with the Cleveland Indians for Roberto Alomar and kind of similar to the way this deal was pulled off if you look at the players that went back to the Cleveland Indians it was nothing special it was nothing worth even talking about the Indians I guess for a salary perspective or maybe they knew something as I'm gonna get into the disappointment of Roberto Alomar here's a guy that hit 300 here's a guy that drove in a, a hundred runs he was coming off one of his best seasons in what led to becoming a Hall of Fame baseball career, and he comes to the Mets, tell me you weren't, if you remember that off season, as excited as I was. How fired up were you that the Mets got Roberto Alomar? And I'll admit, I was just as fired up when the Mets a couple weeks later got moved on. I thought they had really put themselves in a position to go out there and chase a World Series championship in 2002. Perhaps I wasn't as naive as I was, let's say, in a 91 off season, as the Mets went out there and got Bobby Bonilla and Eddie Murray and traded for Brett Saberhagen. I was young, so I could be kind of lured in a little bit easier. But I thought the Mets would have been on for two bigger and better things, and that didn't happen. Yeah, they blamed it on Bobby Valentine, a couple bad years of Art Howe and Jim Duquette, and all of a sudden Omar Minaya comes in and the Mets with the likes of Pedro Martinez and Carlos Beltran in the next offseason, getting Billy Wagner and Carlos Delgado uh, are on to what was one of the better runs in the history of the franchise, even though it only led to one playoff appearance. Now... Could Francisco Lindor, this move, backfire on the New York Mets? Maybe, if they don't re-sign him as a free agent. But you understand that this trade was made with the intention that the owner is willing to retain his own players. And I think that bodes well for Michael Conforto. I think that bodes well for Francisco Lindor and Noah Syndergaard and Marcus Stroman and anybody else that's going to become a free agent at the end of the 2021 season. But if you're, you're a Mets fan, how can you not be excited that they just added a franchise type of player? He's going to bat lead off. He might bat third, whatever. He's a 30 home run guy, 40 doubles guy. He's going to steal some bases. He's one of the premier defensive shortstops in all of Major League Baseball. That's a move you've got to be fired up about. Now, be a fan. When you're a fan, you're naturally greedy. And he say what is next? Does that take them out of the race for George Springer? I could see George Springer now going to a mystery team. You want to throw the Nats in a mix? I think the nat- Nationals are always going to be hungry. They're going to do everything they can to get themselves in a better position to win. The Josh Bell trade screams at when they signed patrick corbin when they already had steven Strasburg and max scherzer shows that they were would do everything they need to do to win i think the, i don't think the nationals are done you wonder what's going to happen with the phillies i think they're going to make a strong push to bring back jt real Muto, but what if they don't i don't know if they necessarily have money to spend it might be one of those like larry bird writes NBA kind of things where they say, hey, maybe we'll dish out a contract that we're not looking to do for anybody else for one of our own. But then when it comes down to it, if that doesn't work out, I don't think it's really money that they have to spread amongst other players. So real mudo to the Phillies, I think, is a strong possibility. I would certainly put the Nationals in the mix, but once again, if it's not one of those two teams, who do you, who do you expect to jump in there and pay J.T. Realmuto, He's a guy that deserves well over $100 million a year. I thought would have been a good fit for the Mets, but you know they're not in the mix because of James McCann. Do the Yankees jump in you know, with a plan to do something different with Gary Sanchez? Trade DH, maybe something different, I don't know. But I try to think, and I, I want to close this segment by thinking of times that I've been excited as a Mets fan in regards to off seasons and this offseason which obviously got off to the great start of Steve Cohen buying the Mets and Fred and Jeff Wilpon kind of ri- riding off into the sunset Fred Wilpon retiring Jeff Wilpon just kind of leaving. that obviously made the offseason exciting by itself and then trevor may and james mccann and now francisco Lindor, and the thought that the mets aren't done is this the most excited you could possibly be as a fan of the new york mets And I'm trying to think of other times that I felt this way. I loved the Johan Santana trade that the Mets made at the end of the year, the calendar year of 2007. I thought it was a bold move. Santana's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Won the Cy Young three times. And, you know, that was one of those trades that was kind of leaked out a little bit. You know, and Omar Minaya had the tendency to have people within that organization that had loud mouths. And we go out there and spread some information. Yeah, I told you earlier about the Alomar and Mo Vaughn trades prior to the 1992 season. And, you know, you wonder, you know, you think of the off seasons, the two off seasons consecutively, 2015, 2016. Where we you're wondering if the Mets were going to bring back Yoenis Cespedes, and obviously, listen, you look at Cespedes and uh, you know that second contract they signed turned out to be a major disappointment. And I can see Cespedes going out there, maybe signing a one-year deal with the Oakland Athletics, having a nice season with Bob Melvin, the manager. He always says that he he admires. But you know, if you want to throw out there, where was your? moment not just as a Mets fan as any team in baseball whatever you root for Yankees Phillies Dodgers whatever when were you as excited as I could possibly be now for the New York Mets like I said Francisco Lindor out of nowhere and maybe it's something that they've been working on for a while but they kept under wraps and that's a great job by Sandy Alderson Jared Porter and everybody in that organization to not leak stuff to the media We don't need something to drag on for two weeks. Are the Mets going to do this or the Mets not going to do this? Kind of like Robinson Cano two years ago. Yeah, the Mets are talking about Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano and are they going to do this trade? Are they not going to do this trade? And while everybody and their mother knows that this discussion is going on, you know, you're like, all right, finally, it's consummated. Now, when it goes out to the media, it's essentially the announcement that the deal is official. And that's the thing that excites me the most is because anything really can happen. And I don't think by any stretch of the imagination is this team done. And I I hope the team's in the best position possible to go out there and chase themselves a World Series championship. Because it's not like they just won yesterday. They're not the Los Angeles Dodgers who won in 2020. They're not the Washington Nationals that won in 2019 or the Boston Red Sox that won in 2018 or the Houston Astros that won in 2017 or the Cubs that won in 2016. This is a team that hasn't won a World Series since 1986. That's 34 years. And here's the teams that have gone longer without a World Series championship the Detroit Tigers, who last won in 1984. The Baltimore Orioles, who last won in 1983. The Pittsburgh Pirates, who last won in 1979. The Seattle Mariners, who came into Major League Baseball in 1977 and have never won a World Series. The Seattle Pilots slash Milwaukee Brewers, who came into Major League Baseball the same year as the San Diego Padres in 1969. And neither of those teams have ever won a World Series. There's the... Washington Senators slash Texas Rangers, who came into the American League in 1961. And then there's the Cleveland Indians that last won a World Series championship in 1948. That's it. Those are the only teams that are sitting there and look back, and their fans say, Wow, it's been even longer than 1986 since they last won a World Series championship. And I think this is something that in a city of New York with its fans, the diehard Mets fans, the actual Mets fans, and then those that are fair weather to kind of fluctuate towards whatever New York City team ends up winning, it'd be great for all of them. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication or reproduction are these to pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent. Of the past ball show JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC Is prohibited Any commercial use of the program censored by charge and admission For its showing Is similarly prohibited So looking back on the night in the NBA And I think of a couple interesting things You look at the Phoenix Suns Who I really think The adding of a star like Chris Paul Was kind of the, the perfect piece For a franchise that's going in the right direction a team that kind of re-emerged itself once the bubble started last year, won all their regular season games, still missed out on the playoffs. They missed out on the playoffs because they were just too far behind. And they've gotten to a pretty good start, lost an overtime game to the Detroit Pistons. And the Pistons aren't supposed to be a good team. But listen, you're a West Coast team or a Western Conference team, and you go play an Eastern Conference team on the road – you know, there's a chance you're going to get their best basketball. And I thought the Pistons played well and won that game in overtime. I think of the New York Knicks for a minute. And watching a game, and I'll be honest, it was the first time I watched the Knicks play this year. And I was interested because after watching the Knicks play over the last couple years, it, it looked as if they were kind of behind Other teams You said Hey who's the star On the Los Angeles Lakers Who's the star On the Los Angeles Clippers Even within the same city Who's the star On the Brooklyn Nets It's been hard to identify Who the star On the New York Knicks Is going to be Now I think Julius Randle Has played very well For them R.J. Barrett Has emerged as a scorer. You know, he's got his nights where he 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 misses a lot of shots. You look at their set lineup. Mitchell Robinson is probably their best overall player. But it looks like they do have a little bit of depth that they're they're building. Maybe not with the greatest of names. You know, Obi Toppins not playing. Frank Nilakina was the first-round draft pick, what, four years ago? He's, he's not getting any PT. I mean, this is a team that's looking to develop its young players. And they finally – I think they got a good coach in there. Tom Thibodeau is a, a coach that has a reputation of doing a good job with young players, bringing young teams into the playoffs and having, you know, moderate success. It's not like he's gone out there and, uh, you know, lit the world on fire in the postseason. But the Knicks have themselves a very good young team. And I think day in and day out, they could go out there and compete. Now, does that mean that once we get through the pandemic, all these people are going to be fighting each other for tickets at Madison Square Garden? You know my issue with MSG. Those tickets are sold in advance. It's not a uh, on-demand type of thing. The fact that Madison Square Garden fills out for New York Knicks games is not an indication of how good or bad the New York Knicks are as a team. It's the fact that that's a destination. And people pay for the fact that Madison Square Garden is a destination. They go there to, yeah, watch the basketball game, and hey, when the Knicks are great, it's good, but their attendance doesn't change. The Madison Square Garden in a normal setting, which we know that you know, no fans in a in this in the arena is not normal. Madison Square Garden's filling out whether the Knicks are winning 15 games a year or they're winning 60 games a year, and every Knicks fan, no matter how diehard you are, understands that and understands why. Do I think the Knicks are on the rise? Yeah. I think they're finally in that position where they're developing young players and maybe are in a position that, hey, after this off season, they go out there and they get that big star. Maybe they have a star emerge on their own hands. You know, Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett, maybe Obi Toppin. Who knows? But I think this is a team that's closer than it really has been in the last decade or so. And part of it, part of it happens when you suck. And the Knicks were bad for a while. Because you're bad for a while means you get top draft picks. But it doesn't mean you're going to make good decisions. You know, R.J. Barrett seems like a good decision. You know, is he John Morant? Is he Zion Williamson? Probably not. But he looks like he's going to be a good, useful, starting rotation type of player. Kevin Knox a couple years ago. He's coming off the bench now. He could get you double figures. I don't know. I don't look at him and say that he's a star. But I think the Knicks, they're, they're close enough. They really are. I'll tell you this. You look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, and this is a team that not that long ago had Russell Westbrook. Not that long ago was a premier playoff team and they went the full full blown rebuild effort. They had Chris Paul, they sent him out. There's really no veterans on this team. They got a they got a young, extremely talented player in Shea Gilgis Alexander, who they want to build their team around. Al Horford's there as a veteran, gives you a little presence. George Hill, same thing. Outside of that, it's a lot of younger players. And the reason I bring this up is that you don't see too many teams try to build themselves through a series of young, talented players. You look at the Greek freak in Milwaukee, and that's a player that just came there and became John Moran gets drafted by Memphis gets put right into their rotation bam they got a star Zion Williamson New Orleans number one overall pick Could kind of make the fans forget about Anthony Davis a little bit he's their star so for a team that doesn't luck out You know, it's not the Cleveland Cavaliers having a worse record in the NBA the year that, you know, LeBron James is going to be in the NBA draft. There's tougher ways and longer and more painful ways that teams get themselves better. And I see the New York Knicks kind of pushing forward a little bit and kind of starting to get a little bit of a foundation. You look at the players that are on the roster of the New York Knicks and you say, hey, two, three years down the road, a handful of these guys are still going to be part of the solution. And I see the same thing with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They identified themselves with Gilgis Alexander as their star player. And they got a series of younger players that a lot of you know, casual NBA fans don't know a whole lot about. And I can see them becoming better sooner. And I can see both of these teams in their respective conferences kind of pushing for a playoff spot towards the end of the conference. Now, does that mean that's where they're going to max out on? No. But you think about it from a salary cap perspective. What's good about the NBA is this, is, you know, you have some money. You could go out there and spend in free agency. Yeah, you, know, you hope you spend on the right players because, you know, You know, barely rotational type of players And sometimes roster type of players That are just holding up spots End up making 20, 25 million dollars a year You know, you just take that money That you have in the salary cap space And spend it wisely And the Knicks haven't gone out there And, you know, added themselves ridiculous players That are going to be stuck on your roster for years And the same thing, you know, in OKC and I think that is a way. If you don't have that big star player, if you haven't been lucky enough to draft that guy that's going to come, you know, number one or number two in a draft that's going to instantly become a star and a face of your franchise. I think that's the way to build in the National Basketball Association. So what's exciting about this weekend is the first time in NFL history there's going to be six games on a playoff weekend because the teams, the league, opened it up. Seven teams, 14 playoff teams are going to be there in the postseason this year. And we're going to get into this crazy thing called NFL picks. And I'm thinking about this because there's a game on Sunday that I I as a fan invested in. And I have to put my analyst hat on. And it may not be the most comfortable thing in the world. But here, we're going to go game by game. There's six games. We're going to start out with the Buffalo Bills getting six and a half at home against the Indianapolis Colts. Now, this game could be Phillip Rivers' last game. We're already talking about the possibility of him grabbing a new contract to be an analyst on television. You got the Buffalo Bills with the biggest emerging quarterback in the National Football League this year and Josh Allen. And you ask me what I think. The Buffalo Bills have the baggage of the last couple times they made it to the postseason. Things not going so well. If you're old enough, like I am, to remember the Buffalo Bills four straight Super Bowl appearances in the early 90s. It's great that they got there, a huge accomplishment that they made four consecutive Super Bowls. But they lost them all. And if you think of the Buffalo Bills, it really comes down to just when are they going to disappoint? You know, is Josh Allen going to go out there and throw three interceptions? And I think this game is going to be tight. And that's the reason why I'm taking Indianapolis with the points here. I don't know if Indianapolis will win this game outright. But I feel like it's the safest pick. Indianapolis plus six against the Buffalo Bills. So you go to the 440 game and you got the Los Angeles Rams. Probably not starting Jared Goff in Seattle against the Seahawks team. That is a little bit puzzling. Because you think of their defense as bad as it was at the beginning of the year. You know, I think of the Seattle defense and you think of Legion of Boom. But you know this was a team that was very much removed from that through the most part of the season. Well, their defense has kind of stepped it up a little bit. They've played better defensively. Russell Wilson at the beginning of this year looked like the best quarterback in the National Football League. He had a series of about four or five games where he, he looked awful. So this is the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde type of team. Seattle, at home. I think it's hard to pick against them especially with the thought that the Rams even though John Wolford has played well. He looked he looked pretty good last week. I still see Seattle kind of pulling away in this and I like the fact that they're they're getting they're giving only 3 points. Give me Seattle minus 3 at home against the Rams. So the 8:15 game. The game tonight primetime NBC is Tom Brady back to the playoffs. For the first time playing a playoff game, not wearing the uniform of the New England Patriots, playing a Washington football team that made it to the playoffs in spite of having a seven and nine record. Now, in the prior two times, Carolina Panthers making a playoffs with a seven, eight and one record, the Seattle Seahawks making the playoffs with a seven and nine record. And now, the Washington football team making a postseason with a 7-9 and record. All three of those teams have something in common. And it's the fact that they both, all three of them have been given a home playoff game. The prior two teams had won. I don't think it's going to happen this time. I like Chase Young's energy. The fact that he's going out there. He wants Tom. He wants to go out there put him on his ass. Good for him. And I do respect that Washington defensive line. Alex Smith. The best story in the National Football League this year, the comeback player of the year in the National Football League. In fact, his story is so extreme and great and exciting that they should name the NFL comeback player of the year award after Alex Smith. I like all that. I like Chase Young. I like Alex Smith. I think this is going to be a statement game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they're getting, they, you know, they're giving eight points on the road. I still think they're going to cover. I think they could win this by a couple touchdowns. Washington's in the postseason. I think this is a great step in the right direction for them. I think next year they go with Alex Smith as their quarterback. They build around them. Antonio Gibson looks like he's going to be a good running back. Terry McLaurin looks like he could be a WR one. And I like the defense. I wouldn't be surprised. In fact, let's get through this offseason. Have the football team make a couple very wise moves. Add a little more veteran presence. And I think they are the team to beat in the NFC's next year. Just not tonight. Give me Tampa Bay, minus eight at Washington. So then we move to Sunday, one five minutes after one P.M. And you got probably the game of the weekend. You got the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson against Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans. A couple facts I have to throw out here is last year in a division round weekend, the mighty Baltimore Ravens, who looked like the best team in the American football conference, were upset, were outplayed, and were beaten up by a Tennessee Titans team that sat there with the number six seed in the American football conference. They played again this season. The Tennessee Titans beat the Baltimore Ravens. And it wasn't really a game in the second half. I think of Ohio State Clemson. A game that we just saw. And you saw the fire with the Ohio State Buckeyes. As they were thinking about the Clemson team that had beaten them with perhaps a bad call. But a game that was tight. Down to the wire. They lost 29-23. And all... Ohio State was thinking about is how are we gonna get back to Clemson? How are we gonna get back at Clemson? How are we gonna go beat this team? And you know, look at it. they they had themselves a great opportunity. Chance to play for the national championship with a victory, and they went out there and he did it. The Ravens and the Titans have played four times in a postseason before. The road team has won every game. Guess who's on the road? Baltimore's favorited by 3. I think that also tells you something. The problem I have with Tennessee, you know, that's my team. I I love Derrick Henry. I love Ryan Tannehill. I'm a big fan of their their two big receivers. I think AJ Brown and Corey Davis are the most underrated one and two wide receivers in the National Football League. I can't trust that Tennessee defense. They give up 27 points a game. I know that they've done a good job in the playoffs last year and in the regular season this year of containing Lamar Jackson. I think they could make a good effort. But I think there's so much on the line for Baltimore, so much on the line with their reputation. Lamar Jackson is going to go out there and have this as a statement game. And I actually believe that it's not going to be a game as this game goes along. Give me Baltimore minus three at Tennessee. The Chicago Bears, New Orleans Saints. Bears slipped into the playoffs. You know, there were thoughts that, hey, Matt Nagy was going to be fired. And who knows? You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of coaching changes. You know, a bad showing by the Bears in this playoff game could be the end of Matt Nagy. Weird kind of situation. They, were, they won their first couple games with Mitch Trubisky, and then they went to Nick Foles, and now back to Mitch Trubisky. question is going to be, what can Chicago do offensively against this New Orleans defense? I'm pretty sure New Orleans got a plan. Drew Brees, you never know. A Saints loss could be the end of Drew Brees' career, similar to Phillip Rivers. I look at the line and I say it's minus ten, New Orleans. I think it's going to be closer than that. I can see the Saints winning, and similar to me taking a safe pick like Indy plus six at Buffalo, I feel like ten points is enough that that Bears defense can keep this game to within ten points. I don't. I look at the high power offense, Alvin Kamara. You know, Michael Thomas has not been a factor this year. I think it's going to be close. Give me Chicago, maybe not to win the game outright, but plus 10 at New Orleans. And then finally, you have a tough game for the Cleveland Browns on Sunday night. Their coach probably won't be there. They got players left and right testing positive for the coronavirus. It's been a challenging season for the Cleveland Browns, even though it's also been a great season for the Cleveland Browns. They've finally arrived. Baker Mayfield's their quarterback of the future. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the best one-two running back combo in the National Football League. They survived the game a couple weeks ago without any of their wide receivers. As much as I'd like to see the Browns win this game, I'm feeling Pittsburgh. And so is Vegas. Vegas is pushing Pittsburgh now minus six. Do I think that they pull off a game where they win by 10 or more points? I think they could. We also add the backdrop of the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers, after starting the year 11-0, and have not looked like a playoff football team since. And I know they rested their starters last week. Baltimore needed that game to get in the playoffs. The Pittsburgh Steelers of last week are not the Pittsburgh Steelers of this week. You got Big Ben, you got the receivers. You're going to get the best effort from the Pittsburgh Steelers this week. So I feel like they could pull off a double-digit victory. So that's my stretch this week. I'll take Pittsburgh minus six at home against Cleveland. So we'll write them down just to make it official. I got Indy plus six and a half at Buffalo. I got the Seahawks minus three at home against the Rams. I got Tampa Bay minus eight at Washington. Give me Baltimore minus three at Tennessee. Chicago plus 10 at New Orleans And Pittsburgh, minus six at home against Cleveland. A little bit of a recap of the show today. I got to be honest, speaking uh, euphoria into the air as far as the excitement of the Mets acquiring Francisco Lindor. What does it mean for the rest of the offseason? What does it mean for the top free agents? The Springers, the Bowers, the Lemayhews, the J.T. RealMutos. The Mets seem to be kind of dictating that some of these big free agents are going to be going elsewhere. They signed James McCann, so they're not getting J.T. Romuda. Does the acquisition of Francisco Lindor mean they're out on George Springer? See how it ends up turning out. I do want to throw five more free agent predictions in there. And still, we haven't had a free agent that I have profiled yet sign. So we're going to start out, I, I think of the catching situation with the Phillies. And I predicted already that the Washington Nationals were going to sign JT Realmuto. Muda. We'll see if that ends up happening. So I think with that would put the Philadelphia Phillies in need for a catcher. And I think of the Phillies and the importance of having a a stable presence behind the plate not necessarily for offensive purposes but with the young pitchers that are there the veteran pitchers like Aaron Nolan Zach Wheeler who really aren't big-time veterans Jake Arrieta is not going to be back next year the bullpen you know is in shambles they need a leader behind the plate Yadier Molina is that leader Phillies might not love Philly fans might not love this signing but I believe this is the best for them going forward, especially if they don't want to spend on J.T. Real especially if it comes down to money and there's another team out there that's willing to give J.T. Real more. I think Molina on a two year deal would be very good for that pitching staff. So I got Yadier Molina, Philadelphia Phillies. Next one's going to be an interesting one. You heard me on the show the other day talking about the Oakland Athletics making a couple surprising free agent signings. I think of Jerks and Profar, utility infielder could play outfield. He could play anywhere on the infield. Kind of fits what the Tampa Bay Rays are looking to do. And you know, Profar at one time was a big time prospect. Here's a guy that I think will fit very well into the Tampa Bay Rays and their rotation. You could play him anywhere on the infield. You could play him in the outfield. You could DH him. I think it would be a very good signing for the Tampa Bay Rays. You don't have to spend a lot of money. And I think that would be a significant acquisition for Tampa Bay. So we got three more players we're going to profile. Next one's going to be Taiwan Walker. And we're going to make this one official. I think he's going to go to the Minnesota Twins. I think they need a little bit of a staple in their starting rotation. Walker emerged last year, finally healthy. I think it would be a very good signing. It would also allow for them to walk away from Jake Odorisi, guy who's been there for a couple years. But I think, you know, put Walker right there as a number two behind Jose Barrios. And I think the twins are in the right, moving in the right direction. Next one, Kyle Schwarber. A lot of people say Yankees, but if I'm the Yankees, I want to bring in somebody that kind of has a position. Kyle Schwarber doesn't have a position. You want to throw him out there in left field. You want to play him maybe at first base. I think he's better suited going to an American League team where he could be the everyday DH. And I like him going to the Detroit Tigers. A.J. Hinch trying to be that force in that dugout to push that team to the next direction, in, in a better direction. I think the Tigers are going to be a little bit better. I don't think they're going to the playoffs, but I think they're going to be a little more aggressive in a free agent market. And I can see Kyle Schwarber going there to the Detroit Tigers. Finally, mention the Yankees being a possible fifth for Kyle Schwarber. I look at a player here that was non-tendered by the Minnesota Twins. A very impactful player. A player that's going to be missed from the Minnesota Twins lineup. And that's Eddie Rosario. And I think he's a much better fit for the New York Yankees. He can play him every day in the outfield. He's a good defensive player. He's got a little speed. He's got some power. I think he makes that New York Yankees lineup better. And he's a better fit than Kyle Schwarber. Give me Eddie Rosario to the New York Yankees. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Passball Show. We'll be back with you next week. Enjoy your Wild Card weekend, your six games. I mean, I'm going to be glued to the television from 1 o'clock until probably around 1130 Eastern, both today and tomorrow. Hope you are, too. Enjoy your MLB offseason. Maybe when we get back with you next Thursday, you got some more action going on in MLB Free Agency. This is the Fall Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.